Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Lee Ander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview the frontrunner of the Swing Revival and one of my childhood favorites, Cherry Poppin' Daddy's Steve Perry. Hello, everybody. This is Leander from Improv Exchange. And today we got Steve Perry. And yes, not the Steve Perry from Journey. Steve Perry from Cherry Poppin' Daddies. How you doing, sir? How you doing? I'm good. Excellent. And when I, when, when I, was, uh, when I used to tour, um, I'd come home to like a bunch of huge, you know, I'd, I'd tour for like, I'd be gone for gone for like a year and I'd come home and there'd be a huge bunch of mail and a good portion of it was fan mail to Steve Perry journey from uh, middle-aged ladies who wanted to get to know him better and I slowly would realize oh yeah they think I'd read into it thinking they were talking to me but they were they were interested in Steve Perry of journey so I've never met Steve Perry of journey but I have mutual friends of his and that I've heard that he's a very nice guy and someday I hope to meet him and tell him how much he's, uh, how I have to deal with hearing about uh, his name every single day of my life. <laughs> every time I give someone my credit card, they, you know, I get fan mail. I get his fan mail sometimes, you know. Not a bad problem to have, I think. Yeah, not, not, not too bad. <laughs> well, could you tell us about yourself and the Cherry Poppin' Daddies? Yeah, well, we started in... Uh, the idea was we were we were in punk rock bands growing up and sort of, uh, you know, I was in college at the University of Oregon and uh, I got interested in punk rock in like, you know, well, I got interested in high school in punk rock. And then uh, then the scene was getting uh, on the West Coast was getting, uh, you know, really interesting around 1981. And uh so I was in punk rock bands, learning to play instruments and stuff like that. And then around 1988, uh, I started. I had the idea of sort of combining jazz with basically swing music and punk rock at the same time. Try to keep the energy and the, uh, you know, sort of the uh, the lyrical content of punk rock, but then incorporating swing music in into it and seeing if I can meld those together. And that was in 1988, and uh, then uh, so we two, we kind of got bigger and bigger through the 80s, and by night, but 10 years later, we had a double platinum record uh, on Universal Records uh, playing swing music. So, and then sort of we've had a career ever since then. So we've been around for what 30 30 years, something like that, and. Going double platinum in the jazz world, I would say, is impressive. Now, did they classify yeah. it as jazz, or did they? No, did they, they. It was a. It was the weird thing was that it was a pop. I mean, a pop rock pop rock record, because you know we kind of, <clears throat> we kind of. Uh, it, it was kind of like the band started out as kind of, the there was the rock guys, the, which is basically the rhythm section, and then the horn players were more uh, schooled jazz guys, right? And sort of it was a mixture of our vibes together. And uh, so 
we were, you know, it wasn't exactly jazz. I mean, it was kind of, we, we play jazz festivals and things like that, like that now, but at the time it was, you know, we, we really wanted to mix the, the vibes together and just happened to have a bunch of really good musicians. Even the unschooled guys have really good feel and, uh, you know, so it, it melded really, really well. And, you know, whenever we have questions, you know, arrangement questions, obviously there's everybody could, the, the schooled guys helped out there. And then feel organicness really came from the guys who played by sense of smell, you know, so. Ah, it worked. So I can't say anything about that. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, it did. You weren't trained in music at a conservatory or academy or anything, right? No, no. I basically, uh, you know, I, I always liked what really happened was my, my mom, as a kid, gave me uh, the Smithsonian collection of jazz. And I kind of, and I never, I didn't put it on for the longest time. I got it for my birthday. And uh, I just kind of avoided it. And then one day I was bored, and it was cassettes at the time. Uh, one day I was bored. And I put it, put the first cassette on, and it was just like, you know, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. You know, it was like, holy crap, this is, this is, there's something here for me. And I think a lot of it was harmonically jazz, really. I mean, I'm an American, and so the kind of dissonant harmonies, like, uh, you know, things like Coco and you know, Duke Ellington's Coco and things like that just really struck me as uh, deep, hit me deeply, you know. And uh, I thought, wow, I, you know, because I don't, I don't relate to major keys that well. I mean, and, you know, like the sort of pop major keys don't interest me, but jazz has a darker harmonics to it. And for some reason, I just thought, well, that speaks to more how I feel, you know, the kind of crunchy dissonances and flatted fifths and things like that and so uh after that i kind of i just couldn't stop thinking like that harmonically i kept you know is you know soul and blues and you know that kind of thing just uh i had to infuse everything i did with that kind of harmonic feel and that sort of um one thing sort of led to another you know so do you think not going to a music school helped develop this sound or do you think it Oh, it helped develop our sound. Uh, it was, you know, I think for me it was organic. I mean, in in a way, um, you know, you know, I mean, a lot of uh, jazz guys. You know, Monk was not trained really that much, and he sort of played wrong, and uh, except right, you know. There's a lot of that. I think that there's, you know, it's really best if you relate to the kind of music that you're playing. You know what I mean? I think I've, I just kind of relate related to it. Uh, I wasn't trained, but, you know, I wasn't the, I'm not, I'm the songwriter, you know, so I basically can lay out chords. I, I'm not facile on the keyboards or, and I play guitar. I play everything badly, you know, <laughs> but I can hand it off to someone and they can give, their vibe on it but i can construct something that has the harmonics and the the feels that i know need to happen you know what i mean nice. so that's so that's my my role okay but as a songwriter what at least captured my attention when i was a lot younger at least in middle school and elementary school were your lyrics 
coming from a jazz yeah. standpoint, your lyrics yeah. got my attention. At least it was more <laughs> modern and it got me yes. more sing. Would I say singing along or at least memorizing or investing more into it? I don't know how to explain it. Well, yeah. That. Yeah. I think part of what, what, you know, even, you know, a lot of early jazz compositions, even lyrically influenced me because a lot of, uh, um, composite like especially in uh, like hot jazz and stuff like that there was a lot of coded messaging and uh, about you know that uh, like louis armstrong would be writing about uh you know like uh interracial dating uh, with uh in a song like strutting with barbecue right and but the the he would have a crossover hit uh with white audiences who didn't know he was talking about that you know and but but black audiences knew what he was saying, you know, and I thought I always was fascinated and loved that so much, you know, the the kind of way that he could deal with uh, real, real issues and, you know, sort of make it sound fun, make it, you know, uh, enjoyable and uh, hitting, hitting with uh, uh, cultural issues that people, you know, maybe they aren't conscious of like Zoot Suit Riot, this, our big hit song was, you know. Most most people who hear that don't realize that it's based on a real, uh, you know, on a real a real incident, like a real racist riot that ha- happened in 1943, right? They just think it's some guy dancing around in a in a funny suit, right? <laughs> but it isn't that. I mean, it was basically that song was sort of a clarion call to our swing. As we got as we toured, there became more and more people you know, sort of people who would have been in the sort of rockabilly scenes or something like that got more interested in swing music and they started coming to our shows and dressing retro and dancing, swing dancing and jitterbugging and stuff like that. And that was Zoot Suit Riot was written as kind of a anthem for them, you know what I mean? For the scene that was happening. But it was a, you know, you know, it's a it basically is saying that we are the zoot suiters and the the others are the policemen in this in the situation right so i used a kind of a you know a real issue to make a kind of uh, a, a different point so in that would be a similar to how strutton with barbecue or some early uh jazz records would be written lyrically you know so that really influenced me but but i definitely wanted to keep some of the hard edge of the lyrics too i didn't want it to seem like i was you know trying to be someone from ye oldie times i wanted to talk about today you know no, that was and if i had good. if i was going to swear i was going to swear you know well i personally like that part but what i meant <laughs> was like also on that is like you redeveloped the swing sound at the time and what right. amazed me that separated you from all the other people that came after was you were not playing just background swing dance music. Right. I wanted to be able to, basically, I want you to be able to enter into the music in various ways if you want to. If you want to be listened, if you are interested in music and li- or lyrics, say, it's there. If you just want to dance, it's there, right? It's We're a great dance band and all the music is... Uh, you know, like uh, there's songs like Drunk Daddy. Uh, it's about, you know, uh, um, a father who gets drunk and abuses his kids. Right. But it's just, it's a great chart, you know, 
and it's a dancey, danceable song. So you can just avoid, you know, ignore what I'm saying. And it's a pretty brutal song, but uh, you could ignore it and and just dance to it if you if you want to, you know. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's uh, a lot of uh, truth and pathos in it, you know. And so basically, that's that was my idea was to be able to. And that's the punk rock side of it, right? Is to be able to deal with reality instead of uh, I was really not interested in in playing orthodox swing and just retro for the sake of you know trying to be uh, one thing that really has always bugged me about uh, retro the peop- way people see retro um, you know jazz music is that they s- tend to put it in this was a time of more elegance and more uh, uh, manners and people were all nice and stuff like that as if you know that world wasn't funky you know what I mean there were drugs there, were there lots was of drugs there was all sorts on. there was all sorts of stuff going on right but somehow they kind of sort of you know tried to Ozzy and Harriet it it up so I what I've always said is you know the truth of the you know when you read something like uh, some of the old-time there's a book called Really the Blues by Mez Mesro. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's he was uh, basically he was a clarinet player, uh, and he was Louis Armstrong's pot dealer, and he wrote this great book from the Times. Uh, you know, he's in j- in and out of jail and all sorts of things that happened to him, and it's a great, interesting book from back then. Uh, but you realize that that world was a lot uh, darker and weirder than we now remember it. And I w- wanted to connect with that kind of world, you know. Um, I keep I tell people if you know I would I would I don't want to be the I wouldn't want to be the Beatles of swing music, you know. <laughs> I want to be the Rolling Stones of swing music. I'm interested in the dark, the sort of noir qualities of that old uh, music, and so I try to write lyrics with that in mind. Well, your videos, I must say, had some dark moments. If everyone was ever paying attention to them. So I give you that also, but how did the jazz world take it? Like your music and your style at that time? Uh, I think they, they were, they, well, we never tried to be jazz. So I don't think that they considered us jazz. Plus, you know, swing music is so derided, uh, I think, in the jazz world because it's dance music. I mean, that's where, that's where a lot of these guy, bebop guys came from. They played in, in dance bands, and then they, they didn't want to be hemmed in. You know, the, the uh, p- bird and stuff like that played in, in dance bands, you know, and then went, I can't do this, you know, it's because I'm too, I have to sit there and play everything like it's written, and then I occasionally get to stand up and do my thing, right? Um, and I think jazz... You know, swing music is is more. Uh, it's less improvisational on the whole, um, and I think that jazz, you know, bebop really took over the world of of jazz music and and left a little bit of the um, swing behind. So I think it was. I I don't think that there's a lot of uh, crazy respect for swing music and jazz, but I but. I think that people are happy that we uh, revived a style that has, was dead, actually, when we started doing it. Uh, but I don't know. It's a complicated relationship with jazz. We do play a lot of jazz festivals, and I think there's growing 
understanding of the relationship of swing music to because uh, I think swing music is a great popular popularizer of jazz. You know, um, a lot of people will hear a, a you know a, a bop set and just go you know your average person who isn't conversant in all these modes and things like that will just go i'm just so bored with this because it's the same thing over and over again right mm-hmm. you know but if they hear swing music it they can get into it physically they can dance there's a whole you know but but the, like i said the harmonics are the same and there's a bit of improvisation and so it's like kind of it's not full-blown you know mighty bop kind of thing but it's but you can feel the bop in there occasionally you know there'll be moments in our music where there's like this you know kind of monkey dissonances and stuff like that you know so but it's not full-blown improv all the time we can't do that with a big band you know okay so what is something that people misunderstand about the music world since you've been in it for so long uh well, I well, first of all, I I think they don't realize how much work it is. I mean, it's like a crazy amount of hard hard work, and both on the writing end of things and on the uh, performing side of things. You know, you your most of your day is spent traveling, you know, from place to place. It's no wonder that you know musicians tend to live a lot less long than everybody else, because it's just a rough rough life, and and no one pays you. You know, they, basically all the, the money goes to somebody else. It always has, too. It's like, you know, music business has always been uh, a ripoff, you know, for the musicians and the writers and everything. Somebody always gets in the way of the money stream. I mean, it's a really, really, it's a, if you're going to be a musician, you better love it because it sure isn't going to pay well, you know, and it's hard. And, you know, you can have, you can be, you know, you can be good at one aspect of it and terrible at the, you know, it's, it's super duper, like you can be a, uh, uh, you know, a super schooled, uh, you know, say horn player or something like that. But you don't, if you don't have the feel of it, it doesn't go, come through, you know, or you can be an untrained guy like Monk who just has a incredible, um, you know, imagination and you could be, of course, like one of the great jazz, you know, uh, heroes of all time. You know what I mean? So it's it's really, um, it you know, like there's no guarantee of success. You know what I'm saying? It's like you could work, want it so bad. So many of my friends, actually, I've had friends who were like love music more than anybody else. Just eat, sleep, and breathe it, but they can't play it. You know, they can they can play music, but they're just not. You know, say you're a drummer, but you don't have a the right feel for it, and that's heartbreaking. You know, you can most other things you can work your way through. You know, you can just press on through and get better and better and better. But music isn't like that. Some people are just born with it. You know, when you were on tour, your high point. How many shows were you doing a year, roughly? Oh man, we did we did over three hundred in 1998. It, it was like every day. You know, we we played a show every single day. It was wow. it was hard. I mean, it, it we'd just be. I mean, I would say, way at well over three hundred. Maybe maybe every single day of a year. Yeah, that's you know? hard on your fans. So you, we, you know, when you have a when you have a 
double platinum record, you get up, you know, you, you finish your gig, you get on the bus and it's three in the morning or say, and you drive to the next place and then you get up and it's like, you know, 10 o'clock, eight o'clock, you're setting up if you're in store, right? So you're at some, you know, CD store, they set you up, you do a short, short set in the morning, you know, like say at noon or one, then they get back on the bus, they take you to the gig you're playing that night, you set up for that, do the sound check there, eat, do your show, three in the morning, back on the bus, do it again, you know, so you're doing two shows, you know, and with our music too, um, it's it's my, like at least from my side of things, it's it's you know like as and and like a lot of the horn players too. It's like it, the horn is never leaves your face, you know. And I'm you know, you get tired, your beat, and you know, your voice goes. You know, it's it's tough. That's and you know if your voice goes, you can't do anything about it. You just croak your way through the set, and people go, "God, they suck," you know. <laughs> Like, well, you know, I blew my voice out doing 365 shows this year, you know. Okay, yeah. I never did that many shows in a year, so I can't say anything. Yeah, th this was then. I mean, nowadays it's the different different scene, you know. I, you know, we'll we'll do we'll cut, we'll go out for a weekend, play two or three shows and come back and have the week off, you know. So, but that's when you have a double platinum record and things are, you know, you've got, you know, 6 months to make as much music as you can so you just you're in there just playing okay uh so where would you think jazz will be in 10 years <clears throat> well that's a good question i don't uh, you know i don't know i mean for me um i hope that it gets i don't necessarily think that they're the innovation is the important thing but more um having it spread to more people you know i would like to see it broaden you know as opposed to being more of an elite less of an elitist um kind of i think jazz gets a bad rap because uh you know it's so people think of it as an elitist uh um you know thing right you know it's kind of something that you don't really you're get some a lot of people are dragged to jazz shows right <laughs> And they don't they don't have a good uh, experience, like because they either, maybe they like it a little bit, but they they don't. Yeah, you know, even the jazz heads who really are into jazz, they don't. Sometimes they don't let someone who's kind of marginally in, into it. They make them feel bad for not, you know, understanding it deeply. I mean, it's a hard thing to learn. It's a you know, it's like taking a whole, um, you know. You have to major in it in school. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a it's a lot for a regular person to be uh, to understand what's going on at a jazz show. So I would hope that it's it becomes more popularized and people go to shows like Cherry Pop and Daddies and stuff like that and go, geez, you know, I really actually I find like I listen to this kind of music and I relate to it and I like it, you know, as you know, and then they can from there they can go on and and listen to the deeper stuff. You know, because it takes a while, I think, for 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 uh, you to get educated. It did me. You know, I, I related to it. But as years have gone on, you know, I listen to more and more, uh, you know, broader spectrum and and different things I find myself liking. OK, that's informative. I agree with you on that, though. There is a big elitist problem in the jazz world. 
definitely. And it's and it's to the detriment of the the whole art form, you know, and which I which sucks because it's such a beautiful it's our it's one of the few American art forms there is, you know. And 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 here we are like burying it underneath uh, pretentiousness, you know, and things like that. We we have to, you know, we have to bring it to everybody because it's a great great art form. Okay, so if you could turn back time and talk to your eighteen-year-old self, what advice would you give him? Uh, wow. Um, I would I would say that I, I you know I kind of would do the same thing. I would live it all the same way that I did. I say my advice would be to you know, follow your gut and just don't, don't worry about making bad decisions because, um, you know, you're, you'll, it'll turn out okay. If you just listen to yourself, which, you know, I was the kind of kid who wasn't going to listen to what other people, you know, my dad had said, you know, I want you to be in, you know, an accountant. There's just no way I would do that. You know, I I just had too much, uh, I'm too much who I am, you know, to, to kind of, I was going to go some weird way anyway, you know, so I would just encourage me to do that. You know, I, I was afraid and my, my, I think my parents were afraid for me that I wasn't doing what they thought would be the smart thing to do, but you, that's what you got to do. I think we're built to do things and you, you got to find your passion. And when you find your passion, then it's, it's easy. Well, it worked out for you, so I'm ecstatic it did. And if you could remove all barriers and constraints, what type of project would you do and who would be on it? Wow. Uh, I would, you know, I think it would be something like to do a swing record with like the Stevie Wonders and like the, the Princes, like a, you know, it'd be really interesting to do something that was uh, kind of that kind of funky r&b but with but swing music you know what i mean like that's i think that would be the you know that would be the really interesting to see how they would approach it you know what i mean like a like prince like how would if prince wrote a pop song or a swing song what would it be like you know something like that i would be interested or stevie wonder you know i mean he wrote he wrote like sir duke you know kind of thing so he kind of did it but I would like to see him go even more in the swing direction and see what he would come up with because it would be great, you know? Yeah, I actually love Sir Duke, so I can't argue that. Yeah, no, the hard lines are so, I mean, he's got such a great pop, you know, write and writing style, you know? I and mean, it's just, I wonder if he just, if he even thought, mm, I'm going to take it a little further. Like, not, because when you're writing a pop song, and I've ri- I write pop songs too, when you're writing, pop you have to constrain it you know there's a lot of repetition and you can't you know if you just i just see if you just took it a little little bit further into the jazz world what would that be like you know Mm. that would be the kind of thing i'd like to be involved in okay i'm curious about how that would sound you know i like that idea now another thing how did you come up with that name (laughs) oh yeah so we used to when we first started out. We lived in a, a punk rock house with three ba- three bands. We all used the garage to rehearse in, and the other two bands had names, and we didn't have a name yet. We didn't know, you know. We had 
the, we had songs like Jerry Pavanati Strut and uh, and Doctor Bones and you know the early stuff that we played uh, before our first show. But we were all gonna we all the three bands were on the same bill for the first show at this local. Uh, thing we had to make posters because we were gonna at the time you'd make your own poster and you'd go around town and you'd put up on telephone poles but we didn't have a name yet so the other guys and the other bands were going dudes you have to choose because we literally have to put up the posters the shows in like three weeks and we have no posters and we need to make a poster and put something on the freaking poster so you guys got to come up with something and at the time we were uh I was listening to a lot of Viper Jive sort of records, you know, like a, a sort of pot inspired sort of Cab Calloway ish kind of thing. And there was one of these records was on at the time. And, and the, as we were talking about this, there was some, some was the singer in the, on the record said, cherry popping something. I'll be cherry, cherry something. Right. And one of the guys in the band said, you should call yourself cherry popping daddies. Right. And because I listened to that all the time, right? And uh, so we laughed and thought that that's perfect because at the time, you know, in you we we wanted to be called we wanted a name that was sort of like punk rock, and sort of said that you know, in our college town there was there were it was kind of an elitist scene. The punk rock uh bands didn't want the normal people to show up at the shows so you had a weird name like the butthole surfers or something you know and <laughs> and so you have you know so that was there were lots of bands with with names that made you made you realize hey I don't want to I shouldn't go to this show but you know I you know you want to stay away from our show so that worked for us we went let's have a name like that you know and we went okay let's put it on the poster and put that on we we laughed and we put that on the poster and that was our first show. And we didn't think we really didn't really expect to be a band that would last more than, you know, three or four shows, to be honest. <laughs> we didn't realize people would like it. Forty years later? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, the first we got off stage from our first that first show. I mean, we did we played the show. I couldn't tell how it was going over in the audience. And there was a lot of like People were jumping around and stuff. I mean, but I couldn't tell if they liked it. I just didn't know what was going on. And by the end, it was like people were just going bananas. I mean, it was just they were cheering and, you know, and I got off stage and this immediately was grabbed by a local reporter who wanted to talk to me all about what I was doing. And it was like immediate, you know, everybody went, this is great. What are you doing? What do you call this? You know, <laughs> what's the name of your band? Who are you? You know? So it was a shock, you know, we didn't, we didn't think we were good, but we didn't think anybody would care, you know, cause it was swing music, you know, it was weird, you know, swing at that time, no one even could, could tell you what we were doing. You know, they would go, that's, what do you call that? You know, okay. so the, swing had been dead so long that at that point in the mid eighties that people were just like clueless. Well, like I said. I love that part of the story right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before we before we go, so I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Choose one okay. and tell us why. On okay. saxophone, Stan Gass or Lester Young? Lester Young for me. Uh, not that I don't like Stan Gass. I, I like Stan Gass, but Lester Young, is he's got the sweetness. He's got it all. Okay. On trumpet, Dizzy Gillespie or Louis Armstrong? 
oh my god that's like impossible to make uh uh you know well you okay since louis pretty much invented jazz i have to go with louis armstrong but i but dizzy's i love dizzy i mean uh wow i mean yeah okay for me that that would be really hard that would be a really hard one to to because i love bop and i love i love dizzy's compositions and i love his stage presence but then louis armstrong's louis armstrong you know <laughs> understood understood <laughs> um bass ray brown or paul chambers i think i'd go for mr pc on that one like just because the you know he's the okay. i don't know that's these are really hard choices you know? i try to make it somewhat difficult on piano Duke Ellington or Billy Evans? Duke Ellington for me. Again, again, that's like a Louis Armstrong kind of thing for me. Duke Ellington and uh, is just the, like I said earlier, the harmonics, his harmonic writing, his songwriting just is, you know. I mean, I guess on he's a pianist. I mean, not so. I just think about how he hears har harmonies and that just hits me about as deep as hits me deeper than Louie to tell you the truth. So I'd have to go Duke on that one. Okay. And on drums, Buddy Rich or Gene Cooper? That's a hard one too. Buddy Rich was such a jerk, but he was good. <laughs> uh, I, we do, we do. I, I'm going to have to say Buddy Rich because uh, we do some, we do um, a, a, uh, so on Zoot Suit Ride, actually, it's we do a uh, Buddy Rich cover of "Come Back to Me," and it's really fast. It was like Buddy Rich and Sammy Davis Jr. It's really fast, and it's like Buddy just giving no quarter to the horn section, just absolutely blazing. Which album was and, that? On? Uh, it's called what is it called? It's in '66. It might be Sammy Davis Live '66 or something like that. Something like that. It's it's at the Sands, I think. And in it's like one of those kind of the show is like an after after the after you know lounge mid like three a.m. and at, in Vegas or something like that, and Buddy Rich is on drums on the whole side, and uh, it's crazy. He's great, but you can totally hear him just going, "No, I'm not gonna. I'm absolutely gonna rush, and you're gonna have to keep up with me." <laughs> and you know that these horn players are trying to read this, you know, <laughs> yeah. just like. He is just not giving them any quarter at all. So, but it's it's a great great uh, track. It's really fast and it's fun to. When we get drummers, we sort of sort them out by the guys who can kind of come close to that or not. You know. <laughs> Understood. Uh, good reason. <laughs> That's all I could say on that, man. Well, thank you, Steve, for joining us. It means a lot. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you're doing a good good service. I'm I'm happy that you're out there. Um, and I'm happy to happy to hopefully uh, inspire more people to listen to us and jazz in general and swing music in particular because I think it's uh, it's something that could be really you know uh, expanded on you know especially the swing thing I mean I think it's it's got a ways to go and uh, and I especially rhythm section wise you know there's a lot of people interested in the swing music and using. Uh, you know, electro swing using computers that just sort of spit out a beat, but that ain't that doesn't have that's no good. We got to have more bands. We have more bands innovating and uh, playing dance music. 
I agree with you 100%. And once again, everyone, this is Steve Perry from Cherry Poppin' Daddies. And this is Leanne DeYoung from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.